afternoon. Lee Henson Hasty. Uh, I am a Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development at the Presbyterian Foundation. That's a ministry of the Committee on Theological Education uh, of the Presbyterian Church USA. And I'm here today on this episode of Leading Theologically with my friend and uh, introduced to me by my my spouse, my partner in life. Um, and uh, this is James Calvin Davis. He's a University of Virginia PhD, uh, a Union Presbyterian Seminary uh, MDiv, right? And That's right. And a, um, a theological ethicist uh, who serves as the George Adams Ellis, who I looked up, who's an attorney, uh, who's an attorney. The George Adams Ellis Professor of Liberal Arts and Religion um, at Middlebury uh, College in Vermont. Uh, He's there in his office um, there. He says uh, the Internet's more more secure, more reliable there. Thanks for being here today. And uh, even short sleeves weather in Vermont in August. Yes, yes. Climate change is real. It's 90 <laughs> degrees in Vermont. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That is insane. <laughs> it really is. We'll all be mo- moving to Vermont soon, though, probably. <laughs> right. And I, I'll be moving to the Arctic. Yes. <laughs> okay. It's all, all relative. Well, thanks for making time. His, his uh, children are preparing for school. He's got a little bit of time before... The semester starts, but I'm sure the syllabi are getting um, uh, revised and the reading list um, all uh, connected there. And so we appreciate you taking time to be be on the show today. And um, it's good to be back, everybody. It's been a it's been a month or so, and it's it's good to good to be here. Please let us know you're here with your questions, your comments, what have you. Um, we've pasted in on the. F- on the feed, a link to jamescalvindavis.com where you can learn more about him and his work. Um, just published, which we'll talk about momentarily, is this book uh, published in 2021, American Liturgy, Finding Theological Meaning in the Holy Days of U.S. Culture. Um, this is a kind of progressive, reformed uh, Christian ethic um, related to a lot of public issues. Um, you know, you're preaching or thinking about Independence Day or Labor Day, which is just a few weeks away, and Thanksgiving Day, which I don't know. Did you? I don't know if you had Thanksgiving Day in there. It's in there. I'm a Puritan scholar. It has to be in there. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm federally required that. to put it in there. Um, yeah. And um, just, just great to have your electoral politics. You know, just a couple of topics that come up in casual just, just conversation. Um, and to frame those theologically from a reform perspective is so helpful. He's also written um, other books that you may be interested in, articles, Forbearance, A Theological Ethic for a Disagreeable Church. Are there disagreeable churches? I've I've encountered one or two. I may have even pastored one. <laughs> somebody um, somebody quoted, quoted to me yesterday, I thought this was this was awesome. He said that um, we invite people to come to church um, as they are, um, and they come that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So uh, anyway, I I haven't read that, but I I want to. uh, A Defense of Civility, How Religion Can Unite America on the Seven Moral Issues that Divide the U.S. And then two pieces related to um, his dissertation topic 
on Roger Williams. Um, separation of church and state, among other things. So I think that's really interesting. We're going to come around to that question. Um, but you know what's coming. Uh, I always ask about your call. Um, you're, you're a Presbyterian minister. You're a member of Albany Presbytery. You're a professor. You're a preacher. Um, you're, you're a parent. You're a spouse. <laughs> um, you're many other things. Um, you're a citizen. <laughs> um, what is it that makes you come alive, James Calvin Davis? What is the work your soul must have? Thurman and Cannon, I think, asked that question, those questions well. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's, a, that's a great uh, question, uh, Lee. The, uh, I, I'm just actually coming out of a, a season a couple of years ago where I think I actually lost sight of the work of my soul doing as, as um, college faculty sometimes do, following this seductive route to administration. So I spent a couple of years there. And in the last couple of years, I think I've been asking that question uh, uh, too, what really is the work of my soul? And what it is, is giving uh, fresh voice to old stuff. Mm. I, I love uh, mining Christian tradition for these old, old rascals, some of whom nobody or very few of us read anymore and discovering that in fact there is very little that is new under the sun and that not everything you find there is 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 uh something that we need to rehabilitate for our time and place but a lot more is i think than we sometimes appreciate so that for me is the work of the soul is to mine christian tradition and give fresh voice to this old old these old old voices uh, in our past it's sort of finding the dna that's there yep. and, and exposing it exposing yeah. that link in the dna um in the christian tradition this just and not just for the fun of it right i mean youth right. it's for i hear especially in this last book it's for a purpose right and that purpose is for is is not just um uh, kind of narrowly academic too. I actually don't have a lot of um, time and patience for that. I think these rascals are worthy of reading and consideration uh, church-wide. Um, for me, theology is a collective enterprise uh, for the church. There are some of us who have special training to help lead in that endeavor, but theology is the language of the church. It's the, the language and story of a people. So we all ought to be doing it. And we're better equipped to do it if we know a little bit more about the tradition in which we stand. And I think that's, for me, that's what's animating about these deep dives into theological history is then bringing up these voices and these, um, and these perspectives and then translating them in a sense so that they're just a little bit more accessible um, to uh, not just academics, but to pastors and to ladies. You, you gave me give me chills talking about that. I mean, it's this is collective. This is body of Christ. We're we're in this together. Yeah. It's like what did um, Kierkegaard talk about? Liturgy is the work of the people. You know, mm -hmm. and and that's what I hear you saying. I mean, like, yes, your PhD in theology, but um, but you're just how, helping to provide some tools and stories. You know, sure. and some ways to to inform the collective kind of conversation. Uh, what you said, theology is the language of the church and a collective enterprise. I just love that. Um, yeah. So important. And I feel like this book goes toward that. I mean, even a lot of the affirmations of American liturgy, I mean, 
certainly a resource um, from my perspective as someone who preaches and for pastors and um, uh, to help think about these holy days of U.S. culture from Super Bowl Sunday to the Labor Day coming up um, um, and Thanksgiving Day and others. Um, some are easier to celebrate <laughs> than some. Right. Um, but also that's you, your audience here is not just the uh, um, formally, you know, uh, formally theologically educated. It's it's a larger audience. Yes, quite intentionally, uh, Lee. And actually, I'd be disappointed to just I try really hard in my writing um, to make it accessible um, both to um, clergy and to invested uh, laity. And I'd actually be disappointed um, uh, to find that I hadn't pulled that off. So so. Uh, yeah, on a on a uh, maybe first level, a book like American Liturgy is uh, really meant for is meant in part for clergy who are facing that annual task of preaching on the Fourth of July, preaching on Labor Day. Can I help them get the creative juices flowing by offering my own reflections uh, on those days? But what I hope the book more broadly does is model the way that clergy, lady, all of us in the church might think about the relationship between faith and culture mm -hmm. um, uh, and think about that in ways that are more nuanced and more musical, frankly, than uh, what we sometimes see in, you know, from pulpits thundering uh, about how the culture is all negative, the culture is all demonic. I wanted to, I wanted to portray um, uh, a much more bi-directional relationship with, between faith and culture where sometimes they critique one another, but sometimes they're actually complementary in the sense that they're celebrating something that is that is good that is holy uh so and i hope that that is helpful not just to preachers but to also people in the pews who are listening to their um their preachers and learning with their preachers so um a lot of i guess for generations i'm not sure if it's still true uh probably in your own theological education um MDA probably read niebuhr christ and culture and all the, yeah. what was it? The five um, kind of ways, I, and 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 then folks say, well, the Reformed tradition is sort of that Christ transforming culture mode. But yeah. I hear you saying it's more than that, maybe, and maybe you're, you you'd say it's more than just <laughs> that. There's there's more than one way to be a Christian citizen and engage in ways that, uh, and and that and that sort of uh, typology. Yeah, the way the way I read uh, H. Richard Niebuhr, I think. I, I think uh, sometimes we we overpeg him for that last uh, part. I, I do think that's where he wanted to lean in Christ transforming co uh, culture. But I think the the beauty of that book is he's raising up ways in which the church has thought about faith and culture in all of these different ways. And there's a, at least a kernel of of integrity in a lot of those. Uh, and that's I, I want to capture that uh, that, too. I think there are multiple ways to understand the relationship between faith and culture. Even the idea of faith transforming culture, which is big in our reform tradition, is still too unidirectional for me. Mm. It, too, it still suggests that faith, the relationship between faith and culture is faith um, contributes to culture. But it says very little about culture contributing to faith. OK. Um, and I think that's an important element of the conversation of the relationship for us uh, to embrace. There are moments in which culture raises up, say, a critical lens that we might apply 
uh, toward our faith, toward our faith tradition, the way we what we believe, what we practice and lead to the reformation uh, of that faith. And I think that's an entirely good uh, thing. So I, I wanted to capture that. You're starting that to preach. Too. You're starting to preach. Oh, yeah. Sorry. There. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no apologies. I mean, I'm, I'm in, I mean, I am at the heart of preacher. Yeah, I think that's I think it's so helpful. I think it frames You know, I'm thinking about. Um, how the Black Lives Matter movement, I'm thinking about the civil rights movement. I'm thinking, I mean, yes, there's some connections to faith traditions, what have you. I mean, I mean, just kind of scanning back through history at transformative moments. I mean, those, I mean, we'd like to say, you know, always like to say that the church did that or what have you, know, but right. no, not always. And, and I hear that's part of your work too. Like you're tracing some of that back into the, the history to unearth, you know, this and 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 it makes you i mean i'm literally looking outside and i mean it makes you want to be open yes scripture and theology as um as um you know informative and authoritative for us but culture can also uh, and experience can be critical to to transforming our faith that's that's, that's right and and for me that perspective is a hallmark of a good liberal theology and i i i own that term that term is a pejorative in some circles but i own that term unapologetically because i think a good liberal theology um invests deep respect for scripture and tradition and if i have a critique of my fellow liberal theologians it's that they some that too often they write and talk as if nothing worth reading was written before 1900 but um I think a good liberal theology is invested in scripture, it's invested in tradition, but it puts those sources of authority and insight into conversation with the best sources of insight we have in our own time and place. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that results in a kind of resonance. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it, it puts us in a position to critique what's going around uh, on around us in our time and place. But sometimes it uh, encourages us to critique um, our own faith tradition and how we understand that faith tradition. For me, the best example of that is LGBTQ um, equality, um, where it's hard for most of our denominations to argue that we were in the vanguard right. uh, of that movement. I think actually a, a growing comfort with non-traditional family dynamics and relationships in the culture actually then pushed much of the church um, to uh, to embrace those as well too. So for me, that's the best example of culture transforming faith in a way. Right. Yeah, that's so helpful. I, actually, my last guest was uh, Brian Nelson, who we were discussing just this yeah. just yeah. this thing, and and I think you're you're right on point. Um, so, what do you, I mean? Your audience for the for the book is is a is a broad audience. People who do want to think theologically about engaging and uh, you know the holy days of U.S. culture. Um, what is the sort of what do you think the sort of undercurrent of the message? I mean, sort of the thread through the book. You know, where where are you inviting people toward? Is there sort of an invitation in there? You think or, or multiple invitations? I, yeah, there are a couple. I think one is to embrace the idea that um, that faith and our faith perspective is relevant to our public lives uh, as Christians, even our political lives. And that requires something a little bit more 
nuance than we see um, in some of our news media. So I'm not, you know, I'm not arguing for a collapse of faith in politics like we see in in Christian nationalist movements uh, right. uh, uh, these days. But I am saying, look, we we belong to a moral tradition, uh, religiously based moral tradition, and that ought to shape how we think about our lives as public citizens and how we think about the obligations of citizens and how we engage in the rituals mm -hmm. of citizenship. And that's why I'm focused um, on these holidays. Uh, and then the other thing, the, the other, I think, consistent invitation is this theme of um, embracing the good in culture. Not all of good culture is good, but there is a lot of good that is in culture, whether we mean political culture or popular culture. And one of the consistent examples throughout the book is um, embrace fun, embrace recreation, embrace um, uh, laughter and relaxation, um, things that popular culture promotes, but that we uh, in Christian religious, in theological circles don't always talk about very eloquently. So there's a there's an element of fun there that I, I want to invite people to embrace theologically. Yeah, it's the Presbyterian Church, we really embrace sort of that Protestant work ethic. Like, I mean, if we're not right. working, we're not really right. doing anything. But that you're right. saying, no. I mean, it's uh, and it sounds like this is more than just sort of a Sabbath sort of invitation. This because there's an engagement that you're talking about. I mean, and I always feel like it's awkward. I mean, it's at the baseball game or the, you know, at the, the you know the um, pledge of allegiance or the national anthem or you know. I'm like, I'm not sure what to do. do. I take my hat off? I guess so. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's odd. I mean, there are lots of ritual out there. I mean, just tons mm -hmm. of rituals. Um, right. And, and and I think, Lee, what I'm trying to do is encourage something more than a uh, than a sense of binary choice. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that not either. That, or. It's not uh, an either or thing. Right. Right. That we're either that if we choose to go the patriotic route, we're selling out. The higher convictions of faith or some vice versa instead i'm wanting to say there is a way to fuse these two identities together of being christian and also participating in the rituals of american identity of patriotic identity uh, and one of my favorite chapters in the book is uh, uh called uh, why god loves football and it's all an essay on the super bowl um and it's it, the whole thing is tongue-in-cheek and yet there's a there's a a serious, um, I'm, I'm, I'm putting a, a, a flag in the ground that fun and recreation and the kinds of things that we do as citizens, um, that we can theologically embrace uh, those as, as well. And I think the same is true of politics and the other arenas of, of uh, participating in culture. Um, just uh, with a friend who who has, we have a soccer, you know, local, you know, it's not the MLS, but it's a, a local professional soccer team. And yeah. he said, you know, I didn't go this week because they're not masking and they're shouting and all this kind of stuff. And I was just thinking like, you know, if I do go, even though they're not requiring a mask, I mean, like one of my way, I could mask, right? I could, mm -hmm. or, or maybe, maybe not show up. That's another thing, <laughs> you know, so there right. is more space for other people. I mean, that I, I, I hear you inviting to a nuanced engagement with how we think about our lives and and engage the larger public. Um, and I think that's, that's super helpful. It's, this is a, this is not a, a, a Sunday morning kind of, uh, discipleship that you're interested in, uh, only, right? 
Right. Yeah. Right. And it's about it's about the attitudes we bring to these rituals and what we do in these rituals. But it is also to a degree about embracing the rituals themselves mm-hmm. as a good that they're for instance, in the 4th of July chapter, when I talk about patriotism, I want to argue, look, there's nothing bad and a whole lot that is good about being proud of being an American. There is oftentimes a lot to be proud of um, uh, in, in as being a part of this national community. Um, now, chastised by our faith convictions, we also ought to experience that pride with a critical eye and be willing to stand up when our nation fails um, those higher ideals. That doesn't mean that we can't also um, take pride in being part of a national uh, community. And so that, I think, is just one example of the ways in which we can embrace culture as as a gift and a good, too, when it warrants that. So um, the... The um, it's one of the early chapters, and one of the um, I think the upcoming U.S. High Holy Days is is Labor Day, and I think I remember you mm-hmm. telling me that was was your family in the uh, part of the labor movement themselves? Is that right? And what 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 are some uh, some little glimpses into that chapter and some possibilities for churches or or uh, Christians yep. as we prepare for Labor Day at the end of the month? That was one of my uh, favorite uh, chapters to to rightly because it became very personal for me. My father, both my grandfathers, were coal miners. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father uh, was injured in the coal mines uh, in the seventies when I was a uh, when I was a kid, and that fundamentally changed um, uh, uh, our family uh, dynamics. Sure. I mean, uh, um, uh, the our socioeconomic standing, etc. Um, so it was it was. Um, it was a, a moment that, uh, or um, an experience that really uh, shaped me. And so in that chapter on Labor Day, I, get, I, I, I have for the first time in my writing career a chance to work through the significance, both personal and theological, about that. Um, ultimately, where I come out on that essay is I, I think Christians should see Labor Day as a high holy day, as a high Christian holy day as well. It's the Day of the Prophets uh, is what I uh, call it because okay. – Labor Day is is a day to celebrate the labor movement, the push for social justice, the push for socioeconomic um, uh, well-being. The kind of collective working as a collective toward a greater good. Right, mm-hmm. right. And I hear I hear the I hear the the um, utterances of the uh, the prophet in that kind of uh, of the Old Testament prophets in that kind of work. So I think we should um, enthusiastically in the church baptize Labor Day uh, as a high holy day that gets much more play um, than it does, uh, uh, at least in the churches that that, um, I'm uh, familiar with. Something I've noticed and starting with in my own family, my mother was on the school board, uh, is I feel like there's, you you see these lists of state, you know, state and national officials, uh, senators, you know, uh, representatives who are, who are Presbyterian. I mean, I, I always say, I think we, we know how to run a meeting. We know Robert's rules of order, <laughs> I guess. you know, um, whether or not those need to continue or not. I don't know. At least we know how they work uh, right now. So, yeah. um, but um, I feel like this is a, this is almost a, you have a call implicit in here, an invitation toward, 
um, a greater engagement. Um, and not just Presbyterians, I realize, but I mean, that's right. sort of uh, um, where I, sit, I come from, a, a really an invitation toward a, a civic engagement and celebration of Holy Days. And it, that I think th- that's a beautiful thing. We shouldn't just assume. I mean, this is, this is a Christ- that's part of our Christian calling, too is to engage the, the larger public, especially um, even through our government, and, and which is wild since you wrote on Roger Williams. So there's the yeah. Roger Williams <laughs> separation uh, of church and state. Maybe it's not a black and white thing. That's right. And this is why I'm fairly confident that Roger Williams is not spinning in a grave uh, somewhere, <laughs> um, an unmarked and unidentified grave. Um, because... Yes, Williams is famous for um, talking about the uh, wall of separation between church and state, you know, 150 years or so before Thomas Jefferson. But by that, he meant the institutions uh, and the um, and the enforcement arms of church and state. But Williams yeah, not, never so church meant, of England versus right. Yeah, not to be a state. right or even even the Puritan uh, church. You know, Williams is railing in his time against the Massachusetts Puritans be um that the church being too cozy with the local law enforcement and 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 working um uh, in a collapse of those two institutions but williams never thought that that meant that christians could not be involved in politics he himself was the chief officer of rhode island for much of his uh time there he served in a variety of offices he he never thought that that meant christians can't be involved in politics or bring their moral convictions uh, into politics. And so in a way, I'm trying to capture the spirit of Williams's distinction between an institutional separation of church and state and a church that um, engages pu- the public and engages in public from its moral convictions. The la- that latter, I think Williams would uh, endorse whole, uh, wholeheartedly. And uh, your next work, I see you're working on John Witherspoon. Um, for many years, I worked at 100 Witherspoon Street. Now, uh, you know, we we claim claim Witherspoon first, I guess, only clergy to sign the Declaration of Independence. That's right. Uh, yeah. What can we look forward to in that book? I, I suspect there's a, a similar theme. <laughs> there, There is. I am nothing if not redundant. Uh, so, um, <laughs> say it so I'm, and then say it. Yeah, and then, then I'll say, say it, it again. <laughs> um, what I like about whether I'm very early in uh, and much too late in discovering uh, Witherspoon's uh, work. And I think we Presbyterians like to talk about Witherspoon, but I think we, we read him relatively little. What I'm discovering is Witherspoon is answering similar questions in his time. What does it mean? to be a Christian, but to be also publicly and politically active. And of course, this is a guy who is a clergyman and president of Princeton, but also a signer of the Declaration of Independence and on a thousand committees around the formation of the new republic. How did he deal with that dual identity? How did he um, How did he think about his moral obligations as both a, mini- uh, a Christian minister and a public servant. That's what I'm interested in, and I'm just diving into this now. So I've got a, I, I've got a, um, our time is running out. I'm so sad to say, but because I am uh, um, part of the Presbyterian Foundation, I don't know if you know. I, th- I know you know Elias Boudno, which most people don't. They say Elias that again. Elias Boudno. No, I don't. So he was on the Continental Congress. He helped. He helped. Uh, 
found um, Thanksgiving Day. He's the one who wrote George Washington, you know, to start oh, Thanksgiving really? Day. <laughs> I didn't know and that. And Presbyterian ruling elder, he was not, he couldn't afford to go to seminary. He really wanted to go to seminary. Uh, lived a couple doors down from from Benjamin Franklin. Uh, also helped found the American Red Cross, um, the American Bible Society, and the Presbyterian Foundation. Wow. <laughs> yes. And you may be screwing up my uh, my next research I think project. We it's need, just complicated. We it. need something written on Boutinot. There's not nearly enough. Um, I think he's uh, he's a model. I think he he engaged in this way. He also, I mean, in a very, you know, for his time, but he was very interested in uh, Native American issues. Um, so yes. ahead of his time in some ways, but you know, obviously not in others. But um, there was a care there, but. So maybe Boudinot, I'll, I would love to have you back to talk about him sometime or Witherspoon or whatever you're working on. And, and folks, get to know James Calvin Davis, jamescalvindavis.com. He's at Middlebury. Send, your, send students there. It would be a good experience. Right. It's, it's, even though it's 90 degrees today, it's usually not. <laughs> it's usually gorgeous, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, one of my theology professors lives up that way, Burton Cooper. I don't know if you know him. Maybe I have to introduce you to no. Burton Cooper yeah. sometime. Um, yeah. But thanks for making time for us today and uh, sharing. I'm going to invite you just in a moment to um, share a benediction and charge with us. But before you do, let me thank everybody again for coming back. Uh, here we are in August. And in two weeks, I think that's the 24th, um, I'm checking my calendar. Uh, as we speak, we'll have Drew Smith. Some of you may have seen him on a, a, a little video and article we did about the Metro Urban Institute at Pittsburgh uh, Seminary. They're engaging the public square, I promise you, James Calvin. And um, he'll be with us on the, the 25th of August, not the 24th. That's Wednesday, same time. Um, and we'll be talking about his work there at the Metro Urban Institute. Um, and hope you'll join us for, for that show. But uh, James Calvin, would you send us and bless us as we go? I, uh, yes, thanks, uh, uh, Lee. You mentioned my last book was on forbearance, and the idea of forbearance I stole from the letter to the Ephesians commendation to bear with one another in love, and I'm in love with uh, Ephesians as a primer in Christian ethics. So the charge is from Chapter 4 of Ephesians. Lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. Blessings on all the work that uh, your uh, audience members are doing out there. And thanks for having me. Thank you, and peace, peace be with you.